0: covering all aspects of milwaukee brewers baseball it's time for brewers extra innings the podcast here is your host matt Pauley.
1: it is time for another edition of brewers extra innings the podcast powered by wtmj mobile my name is matt Pauley. great to have you with us as we've got you for the next ah, 45 minutes, hour. We'll see how long we go today as we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers baseball. A busy week this week, certainly one of the busiest weeks of the offseason, and we've got a lot to get to with the signing of Yasmani Grandal, another free agent signing that went a little bit under the radar, and, of course, all the players who are arbitration eligible avoiding arbitration and coming to an agreement on a new contract with the team. We'll get into all that coming up in just a bit. As always, our housekeeping items at the top of the program. If you listen to the podcast via Apple Podcast and want to leave a ranking and review, that would be very much appreciated. Best way to reach out to me is on Twitter. Find me at Matt Pauley on air. M A T T P A U L E Y on air. This past week, the Brewers lineup got a lot better. Yasmani Grandall signs with the club. And he is a very, very good offensive player, and he immediately makes that a better lineup. A lot of the questions have been regarding his defense. And quite honestly, it's kind of ironic that he ends up signing with the Brewers because Brewers fans got a front row seat to watch some defensive miscues from him over the course of the NLCS when he was playing for the Dodgers. He's not a great defensive catcher in terms of receiving the ball. He's pretty darn good at framing pitches, and his bat more than makes up for the defensive issues that he will have. I don't think it's completely fair to uh, judge—not even completely fair, I don't think it's fair at all to judge him based off the small sample size that was the NLCS. But is he as good of a defensive catcher from top to bottom as a Manny Pena and Eric Kratz? No, he's not. He is not the same guy that those guys are, but he makes up for it in his bat. And that's a nice bat to put in the middle of the order. I think uh, that's an exciting part of it. The other thing is the Brewers continue to show a willingness to spend money and expand that payroll uh, more than we thought that they would. Last year they signed Lorenzo Cain. That contract has more oomph to it because it's a multi-year deal. Most teams can handle any single-year deal, almost no matter what the value is. But that it's not like I'm trying to poo-poo the deal. 18 and a quarter million dollars is a that's a that's a big contract. That's a lot of money to add to the payroll. So uh, good on the Brewers for finding a way to spend that money. I do think what we saw happen with two players who did not sign with the Brewers this past week gives us a little bit of an indication of how the Brewers are thinking at another position, and that's at second base. Jed Lowry and DJ LeMayhew had both been players that had been connected to the Brewers in terms of that second base position. Now, the problem with with signing a second baseman right now is we don't know how long that guy's going to have the job. Because of at some point, Keston Hira is going to get to the Brewers, and Mauricio Dubon as well. And both players have the ability to play second. Hira only second. Dubon can play uh, some other positions as well. But you look at them and you see, you see second baseman. And Maybe this is an entire different situation. Maybe Dubon already has the job kind of wrapped up had he not gotten injured when it looked like uh, he was just on the uh, cusp of getting called up. But that being said, they're going to have to bring in another veteran infielder. I think we can all assume that that's going to happen. So the big question has been, would the Brewers bring in a guy on a multi-year deal if that's what it takes to get that guy onto the team? and who knows i mean <laughs> this is going to post early monday morning and all of a sudden late monday afternoon they're going to sign one someone for a multi-year deal and i'm going to look like i'm not i don't know what i'm talking about but i do think the indication this past week is uh, they're holding out right now for somebody who will take a one-year deal. I think the only exception to that would be is if they bring somebody in. You know, Josh Harrison's name was mentioned this past week. He's a guy who can play multiple positions, so you can maybe find a way to bring him in on a multi-year deal. But if you're looking at a guy who's really a second baseman only, the Brewers are going to sign a guy for one year the way I see it, and they're probably waiting for the market to kind of adjust. You know, every guy that signs, everything, every domino that falls uh, certainly impacts the way the market is going. And it seems like, at least this past week, we were still at a point where some of those free agent second basemen who clearly want multi-year deals, were able to at least get a uh, a two-year deal. So the next thing is, when does it get to a point that guys are willing to take a one-year deal? And I would bet that's when the Brewers find the guy who's going to end up being that uh, opening day second baseman for them. All right, here's what's coming up on the program this week. We will get into our headlines of the week in just a moment or so. A lot to get into. We will uh, have our featured conversation this week with uh, Kyle Loebner. You can read him all over the place, and we'll talk about to all the different places that you can uh, consume all things Kyle Loebner in just a moment. So that's what's coming up on the podcast this week. It
0: doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week.
1: So the big one, and we already talked about this at the top of the program, the signing of Yasmani Grandal. One-year deal. 18 and a quarter million dollars so he gets just a little bit more money than the qualifying offer that he turned down from the Dodgers which was a one year 17.9 million dollar deal and uh, really you, you look at Grandall and he is a he's a top 5 free agent this year. He's not Bryce Harper, he's not Manny Machado, but after that kind of A tier guys that are free agents this year, Grandall's right there on that next group. So, for the second year in a row the Brewers signing one of the top free agents on the market. Last year it was Lorenzo Cain for a multi-year deal. This year it's Cain on a one-year deal. And you got to think that playing a year in Milwaukee in that ballpark, it's only going to help his offensive numbers. So he's got an opportunity to possibly uh, parlay this into even more money coming up next season. Brewers are able to sign deals with their six remaining arbitration-eligible players, Corey Knebel. Travis Shaw, Manny Pena, Zach Davies, uh, Alex Claudio, and Junior Guerra. Some of the individual uh, numbers on each of these deals. Corey Knable is going to make $5.125 million dollars. Travis Shaw goes to uh, $4.675 million. He gets a good raise. Zach Davies gets a good raise to $2.6 million. Junior Guerra to $2.225 million. Manny Pena signs a $1.6 million deal that also includes a club option for 2020. There had been some confusion about whether or not uh, this money was guaranteed going into this season. And we've already had our conversation with Kyle Loebner that will run in just a, a few moments. You'll hear me getting a little bit confused on that the late the initial reports was this was like another arbitration kind of deal where the contract has not become fully guaranteed until opening day but it sounds like as more information has trickled out uh Manny Pena does have guaranteed money for this upcoming season so with Yasmani Grandal as your starting catcher and Manny Pena with guaranteed money for this upcoming season Eric Kratz could be on the outside looking in now Manny Peña is a good catcher. There's a club option in there for 2020. So I guess if they go through spring training and it becomes very clear that Eric Kratz needs to be the guy not Peña, that's probably a very movable contract as well for the Brewers, but they they don't sign him to that deal and guarantee his money. Uh I don't think I don't think they sign that deal with the idea to make it more movable. Uh but hey, I get, They're a very smart organization. Maybe they do. Maybe maybe the idea is that If they're going to move on from Manny Pena by guaranteeing that money, at the very least, uh, you're pretty much going to put in a position where you can get something back for him. I don't think that's the case, though. I think they view Manny Pena as the backup. And then uh, Alex Claudio, who was acquired during the offseason, he signs a deal for uh, $1.275 million. Uh, Players who had previously agreed to deals include uh, Jimmy Nelson, Ernan Perez, Eric Kratz, and also Tyler Saladino. The team also signs free agent reliever Jake Patrika, and uh, he's someone who could be added to the bullpen. He's known most for his uh, fastball which tops out at about 95. He still has uh, two years of club control remaining and one minor league option which makes him very, very, very attractive uh, to the Brewers as they like players with club control and they like players who still have options. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers
0: game, signing an announcement bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take now we bring them all together it's the social media roundtable and it starts now
1: brewers x the podcast is powered by wtmj mobile it is time for our social media conversation as we welcome in kyle loebner onto the podcast once again you can uh, read him on the timber rattlers website uh, at the shepherd express does some stuff for the milwaukee record as well kyle it's always great to have you on the podcast how are you I'm doing great. How are you? I am good. Let's uh let's jump off with the big news of the week, the 1-year deal for Yasmani Grandal. This is one of those things where it seems like kind of the average fan who doesn't really dig deep into advanced numbers and things like that kind of negative, especially after his defensive performance in the postseason this past year, where a lot of the folks that uh, you read online and dig deeper, everybody seems to be excited. So where where do you fall in on um, excitement level or optimism level about the signing of Yasmani Grandal?
2: Yeah, I, I think this signing is fascinating for a, a variety of reasons, not the least of which is what it says about baseball economics. The guy who was probably the third best position player on the market, behind only Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, uh, was available to the Brewers on a one-year deal. Um, And it's really hard, there's almost no such thing as a bad one-year deal in baseball. Uh, In just about any case, when you sign a player for one year, um, you're looking at some upside and in the event it goes south, it's a short-term arrangement. Um, and this is a, I think, really has the potential to be a fantastic deal for the Brewers. It's very rare to get an opportunity to make an upgrade this significant, um, where I think you can make a solid case that the Brewers are somewhere around four wins better um, because they added Yasmani Grandal, and to do it in such a low-risk fashion, um, to do it on a one-year deal. I think this is a, a pretty remarkable deal for the Brewers. I'm surprised it was available to them. Uh, but certainly, kudos to
1: up for taking advantage of it. He's a uh, he's a plus bat. He's a good pitch framer. He's not the best actual receiver. Uh, he's not as bad as he looked in the uh, in the NLCS last year. But that's certainly not the strength of his game. Are you at all? You know, the one of those common narratives we've heard this past week is the concern about the defense. Any concern from you on that?
0: Um,
2: you know, I think a little, uh, just because you know, with any guy, it's you know, common to look at what you've most recently seen. And what you've most recently seen was, yes, Manny Grandal going into such a defensive struggle in the NLCS that he really played his way right out of the lineup. But with that said, when you look at the bigger picture, uh, the, the forefront of the research into catcher defense right now is happening at baseball perspectives, uh, where their wins above replacement stats include things like pitch framing uh, and catcher defense. And when you look at the numbers for Grandal, you see a guy who has been a positive contributor on both fronts um, every year since he's been a full-time big league. And so I think, you know, certainly this is a thing that fans will be watching for. And unfortunately when you get something like a catcher with a, a rough defensive reputation, um, you'll also get some confirmation bias. You know, the first time a ball goes through his yeah. legs like during a spring training game, it'll probably be a front-page story somewhere. Um, but with that said, I think the concerns about the defense have been largely overblown. Um, even if his defense was only average, his bat is good enough to make up for an awful lot of bat. And so, yeah, I, I think uh, if you look at the bigger picture, there's a lot of reason for optimism. It's a,
1: You bring something up that's interesting. I remember um, hosting the, the Brewers postgame show the night uh, the team brought in Mike Boustakas. And I got call after call and text after text from people telling me, not not guessing this would happen, but proclaiming, knowing, being 100% confident that the Brewers are going to fall by the wayside because of second-base defense, that that was going to be the Achilles' heel, and they weren't going to go anywhere this past year because of the horribly stupid decision by the Brewers to put Travis Shaw at second base. And clearly, that turns out not to be true. He did a nice job at second base. And even if he would have been worse at second base than he was, uh, I think the Brewers still would have been, for the most part, exactly where they were. But it's where do you stand on the bat outweighing defense, and obviously if you're a really bad defensive player, that that makes an impact, but it seems like there's this old-school thought of overvaluing defense over a bat, and I know it goes position by position, but I do find it interesting that the metrics say – grandal's bat is good enough to outweigh anything that happens defensively last year clearly the bats of uh of travis shaw and mike moustakis able to help the team move forwards so this is a really long question that i probably should edit down later on but where do you uh where do you stand on, on that whole thing in terms of uh defense versus bat and being able to deal with a player who's not great defensively but is worth being in there because of the bat
2: yeah I think you know there probably is something to, to what you said there that the pendulum kind of swings back and forth on this issue because for years upon years, um shortstop, catcher, center field, um, second base were really you know solidly defense first position um and to a point, they probably should be, um but then all of a sudden, around the early 2000s, um, we saw the money ball As. Um, you know, kind of buck the trend, uh, put some guys who had not played defensive positions before out there, uh, give up a little bit of defense with the hopes of getting a lot of offense, and they got a lot of value out of that because they did something different from what everyone else was doing, and so the kind of player they needed to do that was available relatively inexpensively. It wasn't long after Moneyball when all of a sudden everybody started to do that, and the trend went back the other way. Um, and you could find a lot of value by overvaluing defense, Uh, by getting runs back in center field, getting runs back at shortstop, um, and dealing with a little less offense. Uh, And I think that pendulum, again, has swung perhaps a little too far the other way Um, to the point where now um, we are seeing teams, and we see this in player development a lot, um, we are seeing teams move guys off of prime defensive positions very early in their careers. Um, You know, making a very early decision that a guy can't stick at a a spot, one spot or another, um, moving them down the ladder, and missing the opportunity for the highest possible upside, um, which is that you get a guy who eventually learns to play the position defensively and is a very good offensive player there. So, you know, at the big league level, yeah, I I think we might see. um, There probably is some advantage to be gained um, by trending back in the other direction by letting a guy like Travis Shaw spend some time at second base, uh, which was an interesting and gutsy experiment uh, that worked out for the Brewers pretty well last year. Uh, But certainly by playing guys at positions you would not normally see them with the goal of getting a lot of offense back in response. Uh, That's what the Brewers did with Shaw. It's a little tougher to justify doing that at one of the prime defensive positions, especially at catcher. Um, But I think for a a guy like Rondell, his defense was certainly good enough. Um, In fact, it trends, if you believe the metrics, towards very good. Um, And so even if his defense trends back a little bit, um, you're still looking at a guy who's a pretty solid asset even before he picks up the bat. And then when he picks up the bat, he's an even better one.
1: Um This, where does this put this team with, you know, Manny Pena and Eric Kratz? Because they can go into spring training with all three of them and they're in a situation where uh, those guys can be gone and you really don't have to pay the salaries if that decision is made prior to the season. But a lot of people were very comfortable with the idea of going back into the season with Pena and Kratz. Now Grandal is your number one guy. How do you expect the catching situation to shake out?
2: Well, I believe, um, I haven't looked all the way yet, but I believe the contract that Manny Pena signed to avoid arbitration is guaranteed for 2019, which is unusual for an arbitration contract. I think the Brewers signed him to a one year deal with the club option for next year. Um, And so, if that's the case, um, this is probably relatively bad news for Eric Kratz, um, because assuming Yasmani Grandal and Manny Pena are healthy, Um, They are almost certainly catchers one and two for this Brewers team. Um, There's a very low likelihood that this team will carry three catchers for any extended period of time during the season, and so the the odd man out is probably Kratz, um, who was a a great story for this team last year, uh, but is a guy who is going to be 39 years old, a veteran journeyman guy who really had probably the best year of his career last year. Um, you know, and certainly there will probably be opportunities out there for him. He might even be a guy that Brewers see value in keeping around um, in a different capacity. But as a, a catcher on the big league roster um, right now, barring an injury, he would seem like a long shot to make an impact.
1: I, I don't mean to, to correct you or anything, and I may be wrong on this one, but I, I just, you know, reading the piece that Adam McCalvey at Brewers.com wrote, I'll, I'll read from it. Uh, he writes, Pina and Kratz are both out of options, and their salaries don't become fully guaranteed until opening day. So I, I'm not sure if Pena's salary is a, a guarantee for this year, or if I'm just not reading the, the correct thing.
2: And I am searching right now for a Tom Hardricord tweet that I saw yesterday, which said that it was guaranteed. Okay. But it's, you know, one, one way or the other, yeah. whether it's a guaranteed contract or not, he would still seem likely to be ahead of Eric Kratz. Um, in the running for a second spot on this team. Um, and obviously a lot can happen. You know, that there could be another move coming. There could be an injury. Um, there's a reason the Brewers have gone into spring training with an awful lot of depth over the last few years, and it's because at times that has definitely paid off for them. Um, and sometimes the situation resolves themselves. But with that said, yeah, for Eric Kratz, it doesn't look like a, a great opportunity to make the opening day roster at this
1: point. No, you're right. And for Tom Hodricourt, you're right. Uh, he tweeted out, and I missed this one, uh, here's the full deal for Brewers catcher Manny Pino, $1.6 million salary in 2019, guaranteed. Club option for 2020 at $1.85 million. And then he gives all the bonuses. So that was uh, tweeted out after the McAlvey piece. So I'm glad you, you said that because I was not uh, – I'll, I'll assume that Tom's got that correct information. So uh, So you're right on that one.
2: Yeah, and I think – yeah, like I said, this could all go a, a variety of ways, but that would seem to be an indication uh, that the Brewers have settled on Manny Pena as the second catcher behind Yasmani Grundahl.
1: Did, uh, did a lot of guys end up uh, coming together on deals to be able to avoid arbitration with the Brewers? Uh, all of them seem... I mean, you're getting Travis Shaw at under $5 million. That seems like a, a pretty... Good value there, Corey enables right around five million now depending on which arbitration you're at that that helps uh, determine wh- where you're gonna get paid and everything but uh, it seems like did anything jump out at you about any of these arbitration numbers?
2: Uh, nothing jumped out to me about the numbers. The thing that surprised me. Uh, really across baseball, um, almost every outstanding arbitration case was settled this week on that same day, on the deadline day, um, which is curious, at the very least. I, I think, you know, as we continue to discuss um, labor negotiations as the CBA runs up in a couple of years, uh, the arbitration system is going to come under increased scrutiny. Um, and the fact that Um, Players and owners very quickly arrived at the structure where just about everybody knew what their contract was going to be on the same day this year. Um, is going to uh, raise some eyebrows a little bit. I I think um, I saw a tweet with the list of players who are still outstanding in their arbitration cases that fit in a single tweet. Hmm. Um, So in under 280 characters, you can list everybody who didn't sign a deal on Friday. Uh, That's curious for the the long state of baseball. But in the meantime, when you look at the numbers and you look at like MLB trade rumors has their projections, um, the numbers that these guys got don't really jump out uh, from the expectation. This is roughly what we expected Brewer to be paying these guys when they offered them arbitration a couple months ago.
1: With that, right now we're in a period where we're seeing Major League Baseball teams spend less and less money uh, all while the Brewers are they're, they're a term that Mark Antanasio used a couple years ago, the idea of punching above your weight. The Brewers seem to be doing that. They did that last year with the Lorenzo Cain deal. Even though it's a one-year deal uh, for Grandal, it's at, it's over $18 million. That is a significant salary for the Brewers to add. Uh, does the club and the organization in this In this world, in this era right now where it seems like Major League Baseball owners are being universally criticized for not being willing to spend money, do the brewers coming out of the smallest media market, do you think they get the recognition they deserve for spending more seemingly than others are spending?
2: Well, yes and no. Uh, It it really depends. Um, The answer to that question depends on who you consider to be the brewers' peers um, in their market size. Because if you're comparing the Brewers to, for example, the Marlins, the Pirates, the Rays, um, the Padres, then yes, this is an organization that's spending significantly more than its peers. Uh, but if you consider the Brewers' peers to be a group like Kansas City, Detroit, Cleveland, Minnesota, then it's worth noting that all those organizations had payrolls at or above $140 million last year. Uh, so the Brewers have gotten, you know, and the Brewers certainly have spent money when they felt it important to do so. Um, they haven't shied away from big contracts like the one they gave Lorenzo Cain. They've been paying Ryan Braun a lot of money for a long time now. Uh, but the Brewers get a little bit of a free pass sometimes because the bar they set about 15 years ago was so low. Um, uh, this is an organization that not that long ago had one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, so as the number has you know slowly climbed over the years and it looks like it's been approached about one hundred and twenty million dollars this year, um, it looks like they've invested a lot and they have invested a lot um, But when you put it in the context of the other markets of similar size in the Midwest, they are still trailing a little bit now, they deserve a lot of credit for the success that they've had uh, with the money that they've spent. Uh, and it's worth noting that that major league payroll doesn't reflect all of the organization's expenditures. It doesn't reflect things like the Maryvale expansion or the new facility they're building in the Dominican right now. Um, but they are still a little bit behind their peers in terms of spending. And the results that they get, um, while they've certainly, you know, punched their weight in terms of getting banged for their buck, um, the results they get are sometimes going to reflect
1: Uh, Last thing for you before we get into some specifics on some of the stuff that you've written recently. Uh, They still don't have that that second baseman signing that you're expecting them to come up with. And we saw a couple guys come off the market this past week uh, on some two-year deals. Does the does the fact that these other guys who the Brewers have been linked to have signed deals with other teams, would that indicate to you that maybe the Brewers are waiting for the market to shift to a point where these guys are okay uh, going for a one-year offer as opposed to a multi-year deal?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Brewers were you know, kind of hanging around to wait to see what the market would say about a guy like Jed Lowry or a guy like D.J. LeMay, who both got two-year deals this week. Um, if they had waited a little longer um, and been willing to consider a one-year deal, I think they would have made a lot of sense for the Brewers. But I think as the Brewers um, reject the opportunity to offer multi-year deals to those guys, or at least assign those guys to multi-year deals, um, it does show at least some faith organizationally in Keston Hira, uh, being a guy who would be the solution at second base before those deals ran out. Um, and so I think, you know, in the in the status quo scenario, uh, if the Brewers go into opening day with Corey Spangenberg and Hernan Perez playing a lot of second base for a few months, um, maybe only a few months until they figure out if Keston Hira is big league ready um, this is still a lineup with a lot of pieces around them that I think could probably manage that. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't know if a two-year deal for any of the second basemen that were out there would have been a good move for this team. I, I think the Brewers have allowed some other teams to overpay for assets that simply weren't as valuable to them um, with the understanding that the need at second base may be a very short-term problem.
1: All right, let's get into uh, some of what you've written recently, and uh, people can find you uh, on Twitter, where you link to uh, absolutely uh, everything that uh, you do put out. But you're uh, at by Kyle Loebner, which is a new uh, a, a new Twitter handle for you. I think you just changed it, maybe the last time we uh, we spoke on here. But uh, on the Shepherd Express, I want to get to your last two pieces first? On an interview you did with Troy Stokes Jr., which I found really fascinating I enjoyed uh, not listening but reading to him reading what his responses to uh, his experience playing in Venezuela first off I, I, people should go read it I, I don't want to take anything away from it by uh, spilling everything here in this conversation but what did you take away from uh, from him talking about what the experience was like for him very interesting unique experience playing in Venezuela
2: yeah, I actually felt a little bit bad cramming all those quotes from Troy Stokes into one piece because I could have talked to Troy for about a day about a, a variety of different things that have been going on with him recently. But yeah, the the big the recent one, um Troy is a an American kid. He grew up in Baltimore. He doesn't speak any Spanish. Went down to experience uh winter ball in Venezuela, uh which is maybe one of the most tumultuous places on planet Earth right now. Um and so I was really happy for the opportunity to talk to him about that experience. Um, and about, you know, kind of the, the differences between baseball in Latin America and in the U.S. Um, and there are certainly some very significant cultural differences in the game uh, between the, the two places. But additionally, the experience of being, you know, with a, a team in Venezuela um, in the middle of everything that's going on, there off the field. Um, And so, yeah, we got an opportunity to talk to Troy a little bit about both of those things, about some of the success he had down there, um, some of the the differences in the way the game is played down there, and the atmosphere in the ballparks. Um, But then additionally, you know, about spending six weeks basically living in his hotel and at the ballpark, uh, because it was not a a safe place to travel, especially by himself. Um, And so I think you know, there are a lot of American players who go down and play winter ball um, in the Dominican Republic and Mexico and in Venezuela, um, and now also in Australia, although that's a little bit of a, a different environment. And I think uh, the leagues themselves, at least stateside, frequently go a little bit undercovered. I think there's a lot you can learn about players or a lot you can see uh, when guys get an opportunity to go down and play there. And certainly for a guy like Troy Stokes, who is uh, a recent addition to the 40-man roster, The fact that he went down there for six weeks and continued to swing the bat well and had a lot of success... Um, continues to bode well for his development as he works his way towards the majors.
1: I love when you talk about the environment. How and I knew it was crazy when when you get into Latin America. I know that it's it's a very different environment. But the fact that the music is going the whole time, they're not stopping it before the bat, and there's basically like a a PA announcer who's almost like talking smack, like over the P. It's right. it's incredible that that it's so foreign, literally, to what we as baseball fans are used to here. It would, I, uh, it made me want to. To go experience that. Maybe not in Venezuela for the reasons that we're talking about, but I'd love to go experience something uh, in the Dominican Republic or something just to see how how it feels because that seems so cool.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, Winter League Baseball, um, I did a story for the Timber Rattlers last year on uh, one of the guys that had gone was Tristan Archer, a relief pitcher. Um, and he had played baseball in the SEC, and he described the atmosphere as like being in an SEC football game. Like, it's just loud Uh, The crowd is into it the whole time. Um, It's just, it's a very different atmosphere. Not that major league, or not that U.S.-based minor league baseball isn't fun in its own right, but it's a very different setup uh, from what you experience in Venezuela or in the Dominican Republic. And so, yeah, it's it's an odd context for a baseball game, uh, especially for somebody who hasn't done it before.
1: Uh you also recently wrote talking about the, the and we you alluded to this a little bit ago the uh the spring train the Maryvale project and how hard they're working they've been working from early in the morning to late late at night because this is a very small window to uh to be able to get this in what what impact do you think that the, when when all is said and done, and not everything's going to be done until uh, after spring training this year, but they'll be in good shape to run a spring training this year, but what kind of impact on the organization is this new spring training complex going to have for the, for, for the organization from top to bottom?
2: Well, I think in the short term, there's got to be a lot of excitement to see this. Um, I was just talking, I was a guest on Chris Merring's Radler Radio podcast earlier this week. Um, and We talked about some of the the short-term impact. There are a lot of guys who are excited to get down there, uh, but there are probably also some guys who can't go down there early uh, because the construction window is so tight that it's running right up to spring training getting underway in a few weeks. Um, But, yeah, in the the short term, um, I think there are a lot of players that strongly prefer um, organizations that have spring training in Arizona uh, because the the ballparks are closer together, it's a place for a lot of it, a lot of them live during the winter, um, and so the Brewers staying in Arizona was a big deal. But additionally, adding on to their facility there, I think should make a a big difference in terms of their attractiveness to you know things like minor league free agents. Um, you know, it, it certainly should be a factor as they're negotiating with almost any free agent. Uh, the opportunity to play in a really attractive setting in the spring, and then additionally. Uh, you know, the, the two facilities, the major and the minor league facilities at Maryvale, have always been close together. They were across the parking lot from each other. Um, but having them actually in the same clubhouse, um, sharing some of the same workout facilities, um, having them, you know, kind of together every day, I think will add a little bit to the cohesiveness of the organization, top to bottom up the ladder to allow guys to get to know each other. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, it really reinforces the understanding that this is one team. Um, with affiliates at different levels, but it's one organization working together. Um, And as the Brewers are an organization that has really taken advantage of the opportunity to have an interchangeable roster and to move guys up and down, um, having that understanding right from the beginning that these guys are all in it together um, really helps set an atmosphere for that.
1: Yeah, in my time spent as a minor league broadcaster, I worked for teams that were affiliates of three different organizations, the Brewers, the Rockies, and the Royals. And I once had a conversation with somebody I have no clue who I was talking to, and I have no clue which organization I was working in at the time so this in all likelihood this is not connected to the Brewers I think it's probably probably the Royals it's probably something when I was working in their organization but I can't say for sure but I remember talking to a guy and he was talking about the spring training complex and he felt like there was such a separation between the minor leagues and the major leagues and like at one point he was walking somewhere and he walked through a door as a minor leaguer that you're not supposed to walk through and like there was security on him immediately getting him away from where he was at and There's always going to be some separation between uh, the big leagues and the minor leagues in spring. But I I do think there is something to be gained by there being – more of a connection. I don't think it's a positive thing when you've got a minor league guy walking around and all of a sudden security's telling him to get away and the feeling that goes along with it. And I'm pretty sure that conversation I had was not with somebody connected to the Brewers, so that's not something that specifically happened with the Brewers, but the point being, having the whole organization together and everybody feeling like the family, so to speak, there does seem to be some positives to that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's, there's always... Um, a welcome opportunity to get these guys an opportunity to get to know each other. Um, And when you get guys who come up to the league from the minors, I think it shows that these are guys who are already comfortable in that environment. They're already comfortable in that clubhouse. Um, They've had an opportunity to get to know the coaching staff. Um, They're in a position to just show up and succeed. Um, And when you see organizations that develop their minor leaguers well and they get big contributions from young players, that's one of the things they have. You know, they have a system in place to let these guys um, hit the ground running at the big league level instead of needing an adjustment period. And so this is a thing that the Brewers – um, at the very least on a, a spring training level are building into their organization a little bit and hopefully it pays dividends.
1: All right, last thing for you, the uh, the first Frosty Microbrew of 2019 uh, came out. People can read it over at the uh, Timber Rattlers uh, website. Can't get you out of here without making uh, a reference to the Timber Rattlers. Uh, the big thing was looking at the rosters from both Helena this past season and also from the Arizona Summer League and, and taking note of how young those rosters were. So you're the, the point, and you and you quoted uh, Timber Rattlers manager Matt Erickson, it would appear, and we don't know anything until the season gets started when it comes to minor league rosters, right. but it would appear that this could be a very young Timber Rattlers team in 2019.
2: Yeah, this is the the final story for my trip down to Instructional League last fall. I believe it's the sixth or seventh part um, in the series from Instructional League. I talked to a lot of guys down there this year and produced a lot of really fun stuff. Uh, but this was the, the final piece to close the notebook on that, to get an opportunity to talk to a few guys who had a lot of success this year um, at a pretty young age uh, with the Brewers, two rookie ball affiliates, and as such a poised poise to make the jump uh, to Wisconsin this year. And when you look at the Helena roster, um, the, the Helena baseball reference page um, has a, a fascinating thing on it right now. Um, The Helena Brewers' average position player was 19.4 years old in 2018. Now, rookie ball rosters are always relatively young, but they were the only roster in their entire league with an average position player under 20 years old. Um, So they were more than half a year younger than every team in the league last year. And they had some guys who, you know, kind of despite being challenged by the organization a little bit and being put in a, a tough position to succeed, had some really nice years. Um, A guy like LG Castillo, um, who was only 19 years old, but uh, had a body that looks uh, like a guy probably three or four years older than that. He's really a big, strong, physical kid. Um, Got an opportunity. Had only played a couple dozen professional games, but played the entire year at Helena. Got a lot of at-bats. Experienced a fair amount of success there. Um, and so, you know, when you look across the roster, there were 12 position players for Helena that were in their age 18 or 19 seasons last year. Um, these are guys that were challenged very early by the Brewers. They had an opportunity to get a lot of at-bats. Um, and when they come to Wisconsin, they should be poised to take advantage of that experience. Um, and bringing a young group, um, to the Midwest League carries some challenges, certainly. Uh, There will be some things that they haven't experienced before. There will be some things that they need to learn. Um, But it speaks a lot about the health of the organization, that they have this many guys that are still at a pretty early age but are ready to be here. Um, And so when you look at a guy like L.P. Castillo, a guy like Jason Coca, uh, a guy like Javon Ward, or a guy who spent the summer last year down in Arizona, like Corey Howell, um, there's an interesting array of guys there that have an opportunity to be Timber Rattlers this year that could be there very young but could also bring a lot of excitement to Apple.
1: He is Kyle Loebner. Follow him on Twitter at By Kyle Loebner, and you can read him all over the place, as we alluded to, uh, at the Timber Rattlers website. Shepherd Express does some stuff for uh, Milwaukee Record as well. Kyle, it's always great to uh, talk with you. Thank you so much for uh, your insight, and we look forward to having you on the podcast again real soon.
2: Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: Kyle Loebner joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. As always, appreciate him taking a, uh, a few moments uh, and being able to uh, join us here on the podcast. And that's just about to do it. By the way, I just want to say... Really cool, and I know this was something that was set up uh, a while ago, but it, it happened on Sunday, the California Strong softball game, uh, which included Ryan Braun, Christian Yelich, Mike Moustakis uh, in there as well. Uh, club owner Mark Atanasio was a part of it as well. Uh, really cool. A lot of a lot of big-time celebrities were involved, and Charlie Sheen and Adam Sandler, uh, and it was just it was a really cool deal that uh, the Brewers had a, had a heavy contingent in terms of being part of this and uh, cool to see them be able to do that all the money being raised for people who were affected by the wildfires out there in California and uh, there is a strong California contingent on the Brewers a lot of guys who spend uh, their off seasons uh, in California and uh, those guys were able to go out and be uh, a big part of that event on Sunday so good on them for that don't forget uh, the Brewers on Deck event is right around the corner, and the Brewers have already announced that uh, the event has officially sold out, so no more tickets are available. It's going to be taking place on Sunday, January 27th. They always do it uh, on the weekend between the uh, AFC and NFC Championship Games and the Super Bowl with the idea that when the Packers are good, they are able to uh, maybe be going that far. It's a nice thing to have in that weekend between football. But uh, no, no Packers this year. But also, there will be uh, no uh, no more tickets available. So if you don't already have your tickets, uh, you are uh, you're you're out of luck. Now we will have some things going on. Uh, on WTMJ and also uh, on ESPN Radio in Milwaukee, 94.5 ESPN FM and 540 ESPN. Uh, we'll be getting all those details out. So even if you can't make it in, we'll have uh, radio access, I guess you can say, to the event. So that's all going to be uh, coming up. And hopefully by the time we're doing the podcast next week, we can give some more of the details on uh, what that's going to look like for folks who want to experience the On Deck event uh, via listening on the radio. All right, that's going to do it. Uh, our thanks once again to Kyle Loebner for joining us here on the podcast. Look forward to talking to you next week uh, for another edition. By the way, I don't know if this matters to you. It probably doesn't, but it kind of matters to me, so I'll, I'll make mention of it. We are approaching, and we are approaching uh, pretty darn quickly, the 100th episode of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast this year. The one you're listening to right now is episode number 98. So next week will be episode 99, and then we will have episode 100 after that. And uh, that's going to be really, really cool because uh, we've been doing this for a while now. And it's been great to have uh, support of the podcast and uh, cool that we've done 100 of them. So that's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks. Again, I'll get out of here. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week for another edition. A Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile.
0: Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to the home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.